Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, January 27th, 2019, and this is show number 716. We have a whopping big show today with lots of great interviews and a very long security bit, so we better get started right away. But wait, before we get started, I want to talk about the live show and the delivery of the real show for next week. Next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, and we tend to get a much smaller audience than usual because of it. I think I'd like to go to a Super Bowl party and do the live show on Monday instead, if that's okay with you guys. However, because of some circumstances I'll explain later, there's a slight chance that it will be delayed until Tuesday. So stay tuned, watch the feeds and watch the slacks and the Facebooks and the Twitters and everything. I'll announce it if it is going to be late. There's a high probability of Monday, though, so don't lose sleep over it, okay? In any case, the real show will be produced a day late, but never a dollar short. All right, let's get started. Well, this week's Chit Chat Across the Pond is of the light variety, and we have recurring guest Shai Yamini back, but not this, uh, this time not to talk about photography, videography, or performing as he has in the past. Shai recently decided to remove Facebook from his phone. He still accesses it from his computer, and I thought it'd be fun to have him on to find out why he did that, and also to kind of explore this whole movement of people trying to back away from social media. You know, in in the uh, in the conversation, we end up talking about the repercussions for normal people, but we also learn how important Instagram is for employment for performers. We also talk about how social media makes us feel and what we would lose if we left. You can find the episode in Chit Chat Across the Pond Light in your podcatcher of choice. You can always listen right over at podfeet.com. And be sure to stay till after we say goodbye, because there's a little treat at the end of the episode. This first interview isn't for something you personally will ever buy, but it's a really, really interesting concept. Well, we're walking down the aisles here at uh, Pepcom, and we see this bright yellow bus and these two guys dressed in bl- black and yellow. I got to find out what they're what they're here for. Something about a school bus. I've got Brian Mitchell and Techie Morgan. How you doing today, guys? We're doing well. Doing absolutely wonderful. All right. So what what are we talking about? This is here comes the bus. Here That's comes all I know. the bus. Is the essential school bus tracking app? A school district. Purchase the technology, which is a GPS tracking piece of uh, hardware that goes in the bus, and the parents and students get the free mobile app that tracks the school bus in the morning. So you know exactly when the school bus will be at your house. No more waiting in the cold for it to show up or showing up and having the bus already have departed because it came early that day. Every day you know exactly where the bus is. It's Uber for 10-year-olds. Oh, nice. Nice. I like it. Can you call the bus? Tell them to come get you. you, We're working on that. You cannot call the bus yet. (laughs) Come on. I'm cold. Come get me. Okay. So you you sell mostly to school districts then? We sell to school districts. We've been selling to school districts since 2001, selling a GPS flat fleet tracking technology. What this is, though, is a parent-facing or a student-facing app that allows, there's me, there's my school, and if we were at 7.30 in the morning, you'd see my school bus kind of tracking along there, and you know exactly when to go outside and catch the bus. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. So so how would somebody get into uh, to using this? You just, your school district has to Correct. Your get, school or maybe you demand it. it. Exactly. You're exactly right, Allison. You go to your school district and say, we want, here comes the bus, because we want our children to have a safer, Oh, that's true. They're not outside that much either. Exactly. Good point. Good point. All right. Very cool. How would somebody learn more about this? Please go to herecomesthebus.com. Very good. Thank you. I told you that was a cool idea, right? 
the live audience is going crazy about it. They think it's cool. All right, this next one looks like it would be a really fun thing this coming summer. Or hey, if you're in New Zealand or Australia, it's already summer. So listen up. So you're out in the backyard pool, you want to have your tunes, but you know, stuff gets wet, it's a pain, you got your kid, be your grandson playing in the pool, he's having a good old time, you got to have your tunes, you're going to come to a booth with uh, Jay Lent, and what is the name of the company again? Uh, MWA. MWA, yep. and he's got a uh, turquoise kind of greenish sphere in his hand, yep. and two different sizes, this Absolutely. is audio and video, which is why I'm describing what you're holding, so what the heck is this thing? So this is called the uh, Cannonball Max, so this is a fully submersible, self-stabilizing Bluetooth speaker, has true wireless technology in it, so you can actually pair two speakers together, 100 foot Bluetooth range, and 6 to 8 hours of playtime. So you said you just throw this in the pool? Yes. If you throw it in a pool, it's going to automatically come to the surface. This half stays underwater. This stays. Uh, this half stays above water. So we can play with this ball? Absolutely. Throw it around if you want. Wow. And uh, uh, how far is it rated down? How deep can you go? You can go uh, 30 meters up to 30 minutes. Okay. So that's IPX7. IPX7. Yep. Fully submersible. So it looks like it's got some buttons on the side here. Just yep, your basic we have play full LED. You can actually change the different colors of the LED on here. Volume controls. Uh, shuffle control so you can move your music along if you want. You can control from your phone as well. With the 100-foot Bluetooth range, it gives you a lot of flexibility. You make it sound like this is easy, but I've never seen anybody it do is. this. Nobody's ever done it in this form factor. There's been some waterproof speakers and things you can submerge, but nothing ever been that's been floatable I mean, this. Like is this is a ball. You just, you're just yep. you inviting us to play with it. We'll play a little bocce ball with it. Oh, there you right? go. So the big one is, uh, how much is the big one? The MSRP on the large is $79.99, and then the smaller version is going to be $49.99. That is It'll not bad at all. of Q1, early Q2. Very good. And what's it called? It's Cannonball. Cannonball. Yep. All right, now we're going to switch over to uh, Joseph uh, Uziel. Let me get on the other side over here. And what have you got to show us? Um, so this is a wireless charging power bank. Um, this one is 3,000 milliamps. This one is 6,000 milliamps. Basically what it does, it's, uh, it's a wireless charging power bank um, with a little sticky adhesive over here. Um, so you could just put it on your phone and it'll stick over there for you. So if you're using it, it's just very convenient. Um, so to, to the people who are just listening to this, it's basically a, a maybe a half an inch thick, a little smaller than the phone, and it just sticks to the back of the phone. It's got a nice uh, yeah, no soft wires. touch to it, no wires. Oh, that's interesting. So that's the, the thing you throw in your backpack, right? It's, now, it's that, Qi certified. Oh, okay. So it's Qi. So uh, it's got a sticky surface there. That's going to get all gunked up, though, right? So all you got to do is get a damp cloth, wash it right off, and it's back to normal. Okay, and then you've got something to protect it if you want. Exactly. When you throw it in your backpack, I would recommend this little silicone flap comes right off the front, and it just covers the back. And it's sticky, so it'll... That's very cool. So uh, what is this called? This is wireless charging power bank for now. It's still in development. It hopefully will be ready within 30 to 60 days. Okay. Yes. Uh, Let's see. Let me switch back over to Jay. I'm spinning around. Sure. So if people want to learn more about Cannonball and the wireless charging bank, where would they go? Go to gosilo.com. And that's spelled? G-O-C-Y-L-O.com. Very good. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. You know, it was only after listening to this again while uh, doing the recording here that I realized he said it could go 30 meters deep for 30 minutes and that it was IPX7. And I'm we looked up the specs on that and uh, that's all right. It's one meter for 30 minutes. And uh, what we think he was mixing up was the Bluetooth range. 
but he was talking about the depth. So I think he just made a verbal typo there. But uh, anyway, it's a meter for 30 minutes. All right, let's listen to the next interview. If you're a stargazer or just like to look through binoculars, but you have trouble with stabilization and you can't really see that well, I think you might be interested in this next interview. We're with uh, Carrie McTaggart from Nexoptic. Is that the way I say it? Nexoptic Technology Corp., yes. All right, great. So this is audio and video, so describe in audio what you're showing us here. Absolutely. So as you can see in the front here, uh, this is a two-camera system. So this is a wide-field lens and a narrow-field lens. Essentially right here, this is a high-optic high telescope. What our founders have done is create a very powerful telescope that essentially what you would see in five feet, you can see within five inches. So this is our first device that we're coming to market with with this technology. So let me describe the box she has in her hands. It's uh, what, maybe three inches high by six inches wide by another three inches deep. And it's a nice black matte finish. And it's got a, uh, looks like this is a lens cover if I flap it over correctly. That's correct. So it's got two sides to it. One side is the uh, the camera in the center is the uh, is the high optical zoom, is that correct? That's correct. And then down on the bottom left of that is the wide angle lens. That's correct. And you're combining those images in software, I guess? Well, what we're actually doing here is we are enabling the consumer to be able to see uh, far range distances and being able to change from a wide view to a narrow view. So she's pressing buttons on the top of it. She's got kind of a canned photo stored inside the unit right now to demonstrate because there's nothing interesting here at CES. (laughs) And she's demonstrating zooming in and out, and she's showing that she can change the zoom. Basically, it's from 10x to what is the the wide angle? Uh, Wide angle is just a typical... Yes, Um, but this is a 10 times optical zoom piece of technology. So you're not having to hold this up to your eyes, but it is like binoculars. That's exactly right. And you actually bring up a really great point because I already see that you're wearing glasses. So with a typical uh, set of binoculars, you put them up to your eyes, people with glasses are already at a disadvantage. So this would be very accommodating for a lot of consumers. That being said as well, there can be more than two eyeballs on this device. So it's great. right, right. Great for group sharing. This could change the game for educators. It could change the game for military. Um, a lot of applications, both vertical and horizontal. So uh, stargazing is the first thing I think of. Can you change the brightness of the display for when you're outside? Absolutely. And, of course, the sun exposure is always a variable. So this is going to be a very bright screen so that it's... What about at night? It's going to be very bright. So you'll be able to see at night. No, no, no. But usually you need it to be dimmer at nighttime because you're stargazing. You don't oh. want it too bright. Of course, you can adjust it to be lo- uh, lower. <laughs> oh, okay, good, good. Right when you need it. And then on the top, we've got a couple of buttons here. Is that the zoom button? That is zoom in, zoom out. It's just two toggles, though. You're not continuous zoom. It's in or out. Great question. So for our prototype, it's just zoom in, zoom out. For our final device, you're going to be able to, it does have that fire focus because it's working with those two cameras, but then you're going to be able to get to that one degree view using that far view. Okay, so you'd be able to smoothly zoom in and out between them? Yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, you said something about uh, viewing this on a smartphone. 
Absolutely. So let's say that you're out in the woods and, you know, you want to be able to share uh, with your friends or family or colleagues, uh, even at a gym, etc. You're going to be able to share what is on the screen with other smartphones. So you can have this, oops, sorry, you can have this image with other smartphones around you. That's a little creepy to use binoculars at a gym, but uh, (laughs) let's let's go stargazing again, (laughs) shall we? We're looking at the bear that's coming up on the campsite, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, stargazing, uh, NFL games, making that cheap seat the best seat. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a good application. Absolutely. Another application would be uh, whale watching. Um, When you're out there together and you're trying to point and and have a group experience, you can't have that with a binocular. Uh, It's a single-user experience. This is going to change that game. This ends the, let me look, let me look, let me look. Exactly, exactly. All right, so if people want to learn more about this, uh, where should they go? www.nextoptic.com. And that's N-E-X-O-P-T-I-C.com. And uh, when do you think this is going to be available? Uh, We're looking for third quarter, 2019. Oh, hot dogs. Do you have a price point yet? About 1,500 American. Okay. Well, this is for this serious uh, football game watcher. Well, that being said as well, when you're looking at binoculars like the Savarsky, they're about $4,000 and they're not... They're not even smart at all. Um, And when you're looking at DSLR, you're already looking at a $2,000 camera. Um, On top of that, they're not water resistant. So if you drop this on a rock or in a little puddle, don't worry about it. But you're not going to have that forgivingness with a DSLR camera. There you go. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Let's switch gears now from talking about binoculars to talking about taking notes. I'm at a booth by a company uh, called Remarkable, and I'm with Sigurd Granjansson, and he's got an e-ink tablet for handwriting, I think. Is that what this is? Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's correct. Uh, so this is Remarkable. Uh, it is a paper tablet. So we create a tablet for people who usually use uh, pen and paper uh, in their work environments. Uh, but here you can write, you can read, you can annotate documents. And it is all stored in the Remarkable, uh, and that's the mobile application and desktop application. So you never lose your notes again. It syncs across. So it's so it syncs across to your mobile device. Yeah, it does. It does. Now, why wouldn't you just write on an iPad, for example? Why would you use this instead? Yeah. So we have spent a lot of time to create the perfect surface and the algorithm to make uh, this as paper-like as as possible. So the nib and the surface together create this paper experience. Now I'm going to do a little spoiler here. He let me play with this before he started the interview. He's telling the truth. This feels like a pencil on paper. Yeah, so again, we uh, it's based on uh, an e-ink uh, screen. And the thing with e-ink is it's basically a really slow screen. But we invested heavily in the algorithms to get get it, uh, get the... Um, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's okay. It gets uh, the feel and the, and the speed. Yeah, the speeds. Yeah, the latency down. Uh, so when you write on it, it's almost instant. So I'm going to make him turn away from the camera so Steve can do an over-the-shoulder now. And uh, he can look down at the screen. So you've got a bunch of icons on the left, a bunch of icons across the top. Yeah. And you're just going to start writing. Yep. So uh, what I can do, uh, let's just uh, do a example here. Uh, He's just writing hello. Hello, C, E. I'm writing hello, C, S. Okay. And if I push this button, it will, it will transfer the type text, oh, uh, the, the, the hand type text to, to type text. All right. How good is the uh, text recognition? I, 
to be uh, like really objective, it is really good. Ah, really, <laughs> really. Okay, cool. That's that's fantastic because I like to write by hand, but then I don't. I want type text that I can search later, right? Yeah, and uh, that's the thing. You can write it with your hand. You get in the focus zone. Uh, the thing is, when you when you sit in front of a computer and do your work, uh, you get distracted by everything. Uh, that's the problem with the iPad, right? Like I have a Kindle. Even though I have an iPad sitting right there, because that means I won't be able, I'll be distracted if I'm on the uh, if I'm on the iPad. If I go on the Kindle, I can focus on that. So this is like the the Kindle of writing. You can say that. So uh, uh, when you when you work on Remarkable, you won't get distracted. You can really focus and concentrate and create great work. And uh, you can convert it to handwritten now to type texts. Uh, and then you can edit or send it to your email or edit it. That's fantastic. Now, um, show over the shoulder again here. Uh, you pressed a button down there and you got into a PDF so we yep. could go annotate it. Sure. So we can go into a PDF. Um, let me see here. So we tapped on a PDF. It's up on and now you can scribble right on that? Yeah, so uh, I can... Uh, use a I can, highlighter? Yeah, there? I can use this marker tool. And I can just highlight this, and uh, maybe I can uh, put a ring around the reading and create an, a note for myself. And all this result, uh, the annotation I do, will follow through. Like when you export the documents, uh, it will stay in the documents. I noticed that I didn't have to save or anything like that when I was playing around with it. This automatically created a second version of that PDF, correct? Yeah. So this actually. Uh, you, you don't need to save. It syncs, syncs automatically throughout the clouds. That's very cool. So where would people go to find out more about this? Yes, yeah, so if you go to remarkable.com, okay. uh, you'll find more information about it. And when, yeah. do you, when do you hope to have this available? It is available now. Uh, so we, we, we launched our pre-order campaign in 2016, and we ended it in September 2017 and start shipping a couple of weeks later. So if you order today, you'll get it in two days. Wow, and how much does this cost? So it's five ninety nine. Okay. Yep. All right, very good. Thank you very much for your time. This is fantastic. Thank you for, uh, for, uh, for putting up some time for Remarkable. <laughs> very good. Okay, this next interview is for something really, really interesting. I'm uh, I'm just going to play it, but it's not what you would normally expect me to be talking about here. I get a lot of press releases, and I've got to say that one of the best ones that really caught my attention was the uh, marketing material for a product called DeFree from a company called Triple W. I'm here with Tai Ta- can oh, I did it right in the beforehand, Tai Takayanagi, and we're going to talk about DeFree, and sure. I think this is a really interesting product that might be an embarrassing product, but it's going to be really interesting, I think. Yes. Um, this is a, a portable bladder scanner uh, designed for seniors and people with disability who suffer from incontinence. Okay, you don't even have to have a disability to be incontinent. I'm just telling you, you had a baby, whatever it is, it can happen, right? Absolutely. There's over uh, 500 million people worldwide who suffer from incontinence. So it's a big issue, but no one wants to talk about it. Right, right. Which I figure I'm going to come here and talk about it. Why not, right? So this is an audio and video podcast, so we'll describe these things. You've got two things in your hand. Yes. One is a puck that's maybe uh, three or four inches in diameter, and then a little tiny sensor. I don't know, maybe the size of an Apple Watch, we'll call it. 
and they're connected by a little bit of a cable. So That's what are right. these? So uh, this is a ultrasound sensor that you attach to your body, and this is what scans your bladder continuously. And this is a data transmitter. It uses Bluetooth to communicate with your phone. So the bigger one is the data transmitter. Correct, correct. So you just, uh, let's see, it's got a clip on the back, yes. you put it on your belt or whatever, on your uh, yes. waistband? You can attach it to your belt or your clothing, um, and it's very lightweight, so once it's worn on your body, you kind of forget about it. Right, right. And now the sensor, how does that attach to you? Yes, uh, so it goes on your lower abdomen, and it's secured using a medical tape. Okay, like a double back metal, medical um, tape? Yes. Uh, any oh, slap it over the top, right? Any off-the-shelf medical tape, yes, will do. Okay, so that looks pretty roundy and comfortable. Would I can imagine forgetting I was wearing that. Yes, yes. Yeah, like I said, once worn, um, you kind of forget about it. It's very lightweight, so you wear it in the morning. Uh, the battery is good for 24 hours, so you don't have to recharge it during the day. Oh, so how do you recharge this? Uh, it has a USB port. Oh, and a transmitter? Uh, yes. Okay. You basically uh, use uh, any basic USB cable to charge it. We'll zoom in on that with the uh, video here. Okay, so this looks uh, interesting, but I'm guessing that the uh, that the app itself is where the uh, fun happens. Sure, I sure. can hold that for you sure. if you want while you show the app to the camera. Yep. Actually, um, I'm wearing my sensor right now, and uh, this is uh, what my bladder looks like. So as you can see... Wow, you're um, a bold man there, Ty. You're showing us your bladder. <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing, but uh, it shows that uh, my bladder is 50% full, and oftentimes... Uh, you know, I have to go when it's 60% full, so I'm getting very close. So, um, okay, I won't go keep this interview going too long. So what are you, what are you dialing that up and down? Why are you doing sure. that? This is a notification threshold. So basically you can set it anywhere. Um, you can set it so that uh, you get a notification when it's 40% full, 50% full, so that you have adequate time to maybe look for a bathroom when you're out and about. Okay, and then... Uh, why? How would I know what what level to set that for? How do I know where I should set that? It really depends, um, Allison. Uh, some people go to the bathroom when it's fifty percent full. My daughter, who's seven, goes to the bathroom when it's ten. So it really depends on that person. Okay, so that that's kind of interesting. Now, I would think it also you might want to set it to different levels depending on the conditions. Like if I'm at home, Absolutely. I can wait till I'm seventy percent, eighty percent. But if Absolutely. I'm at a football game Absolutely. where I'm going to be in a twenty-minute line, I probably want a heads up on that. Yes. That situation, right? Absolutely. When you're uh, in a car, maybe traveling, you want to heads up so that you have ample time to look for a bathroom. Say, Sweetie, we're going to need to stop in about 40 minutes, 40 right? Minutes. And you can be very precise about that. Wow. That, that's information that'd be interesting for all of us on a regular basis. Now, uh, I see some other controls down here. Are those anything interesting there? Yeah. You know, actually, um, you can chart uh, your toilet activities, if you will. So this kind of shows how many times a day you go to the bathroom and what is your threshold for accumulating uh, urine in your bladder. Oh, so, that's, because with metrics, if you can measure something, you can affect it, right? You can affect absolutely. change. You can change behavior. You can do different things if you have the, the metrics to support it, right? Absolutely. So if you know that you go to the bathroom every two hours, you kind of have to um, start looking for a bathroom every two hours. But uh, with the data, you can be very precise about that. Wow. This is really, really cool. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So uh, when do you expect this to be on the market? It's actually already available. Um, we started selling it in September of last year. So we're relatively new. But oh, wow. That's can, fantastic. How much does it cost? Yeah, you can um, rent our device for $40 per month, or you can buy it for 500 if you like. 
Well, that's interesting. So a try before you buy kind of an option? Y- you can try it, and uh, whatever you pay towards the rental gets applied to the buyout. Wow, that is, that's, a, that's a nice pricing plan. So you must believe in the product to do that. We do, we do. We, we want as many people to try it out as possible, and we want to help people. Okay, so the company is Triple W. The product is D-Free for diaper-free. And where would we find uh, D-Free? Yep. Uh, On our website, it is uh, dfreeus.biz. And uh, we also sell on Amazon as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, good luck with this, Ty. This seems like a really cool product to help a lot of people be a lot less embarrassed. Thanks, Allison. Did I make it in time for your... uh, Let's let's check your bladder before we go. All right. I'm still at five, so I'm good. I'm good. good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I know that interview might have made some people uncomfortable or embarrassed, but it was actually one of my favorite things I saw at CES. You know, something that solves a real problem for people. And in this case, you know, giving people their dignity back. I mean, how can that not be the best thing ever? Well, the next interview I have is about a service that can also help people to keep living independently. While I was doing this interview, I missed something really important. And I want to make sure you guys know this before you hear it. There are no cameras involved in the product and service you're about to hear uh, described. Now, I don't want to ruin the story, but uh, you know, keep that in mind as you listen. I'm with Go- John Gutch of Hive, and we're going to learn about HiveLink today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. Brilliant. So tell us about Hive and HiveLink. Yeah, no worries. So um, HiveLink is our new uh, smart service. What it does is it provides peace of mind for families um, to look after loved ones. So often people like this are called carers or carees. Um, but when we speak to people, they actually don't consider themselves to be carers. You know, they're like a casual carer. So they look after mum or they look after dad. And it's those, those people that are making that phone call in the morning. So, you know, is mum up? Is she up and okay? Has she opened the fridge? Has she made a coffee? So what we provide our smart service is we put we bundle some products together we bundle our smart plugs our smart motion sensors and smart contact sensors that can be used on windows or doors together they're professionally installed within the home so it's a really personal service and what we do is we provide the carer with a really simple to use intuitive app and that app will show what's going on inside mum or dad the loved one's home so it provides a summary view of everything that's going on Um, It will also provide a notification if something happens that's not quite right or something out of the ordinary. So what the the kit inside the home does is it starts to learn about the patterns and and the routines. And if anything happens outside of the normal routine, we'll send a notification to the carer to try and, and then move on and deal with. Hey, mom hasn't gotten up yet. Yeah, for example. She's usually up by about 8, 8.30. What, she's still in bed. Exactly. Well, what will happen is the notification will come through to the to the carer. It will say, you know, mum hasn't got up yet. There's been no motion or no activity in the home. And then through the app, you can then decide what you want to do about that notification. So if I show you now on the app, if you want to come in and see. I'm going to pull that off there. This is a summary view of what's going on in, let's say, Mum's home right now. It's actually Elvin's home. But we can see here a a view of where all the products are installed. So, for example, there's motion in the hallway. Um, The kitchen, again, there's motion. Or the fridge has been opened. That will put together a kind of pattern to say that, you know, Mum's been up, she's gone into the kitchen, she's opened the fridge, she's making her coffee. We see a timeline of events, all in order, of when they happen during the day. And if anything happens or, or is detected out of the ordinary, as I said before, we can see here that this is showing us there's been no activity. So, like you said earlier on, you know, mum's normally up by 8am, there's been no activity, a notification will come through. 
Now what we've also introduced is something that we call Hive Circles and this is all about, all about sharing the caring. So quite often people who look after a loved one are not the only member of the family that do so. Right, it's right. often shared between brothers or sisters or even neighbours for example. So you can create what we call Hive Circles. Right at the centre of the circle is the loved one and the first ring will be the carer. So this is the person who has the app, has access to all of the detail and summary of what's going on inside the home. And if they can't deal with a notification when it comes through, it will go to the outer circle. So that oh, outer, oh, neat. So that outer circle could be a neighbour. And for example, you might not want a neighbour to have full access to the app. Sure. But yeah. what you might want the neighbour to do is receive a notification if, let's say, the front door's been left open for a prolonged period of time, so they can just pop their head in the door to make sure everything's hey, all Sally, okay. Hey, Sally, what's up? <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. Oh, interesting. So, so would it solve this problem? A friend of mine, her uh, father slipped in the bathroom in the middle of the night. His, his wife found him, but she didn't want to bother anybody. So yep. she made him lay on the floor in the bathroom till 8 in the morning when it was a convenient time to make a phone call. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the advice we'd be giving, to be honest. No, exactly. But, what, but, but, but would you, have no, you might have a way of knowing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if we've got motion sensors, so these motion sensors are cleverly placed around the home. As I said before, they'll be installed by a, a fully trained expert in that area um, to come and put them in the right places. In, and again, in places that suit both the carer and the caree. Yeah, the, that's the tricky bit. Hey, Mom, I'm putting cameras and sensors yeah, all over so, your house. How do you talk? into that so absolutely the, this is designed to be non-invasive yeah it's hidden it's things that are not in the in the care carey's face we're not trying to put a home help bus around someone's neck you know they don't want that we've spoken right. to, to lots of customers who are not interested in that kind of that kind of uh, product what we do is we put things in you know plugs we've got motion sensors and contact sensors which allows the the, the carey or the loved one to continue with their usual routines. Nothing changes. We're not you get to live at home. Absolutely. You get to live at home for longer. Nothing changes in your normal day-to-day life. That's really, really interesting. Uh, is, uh, where would we find more about Hive and HiveLink? So you can find us on our website, hivehome.com, uh, here in the US. Uh, we're also obviously available in Canada and the UK at the moment as well. Um, so HiveLink isn't available yet in the US uh, due to launching H2 this year. Um, it's available in the UK right now. We launched uh, just before Christmas. Very good. Thank you very much. This no is problem. interesting. This is solving a problem of we want to stay at home a lot longer. We don't want to be shipped off to the home. Yeah, look, ab- absolutely. And this is, this is what we're all about at Hive. You know, we, we're trying to solve real customer problems. We're always talking to our customers. We make sure that we keep really close to them so that we're you know, solving real problems that, that matter the most. That's good work. Good work. Thank you very much. No problem. Again, I would like to reiterate that when I said cameras, there are no cameras. When I said it in there, I really wish he'd gone, no, 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 no cameras, no cameras. That would have been better. But anyway, I think since I've bookended that, you guys get the point. No cameras in Hive Link. I bet you wish you could hear a handful of ads in the middle of the Nocilla cast and chit-chat across the pond, right? Maybe pre-roll ads that went on to, I don't know, 20, 30% of the length of the show. Maybe you wish the ads were for men's underwear or men's razors or any of the other male-related ads that seem to be running on tech podcasts these days. No, you wouldn't? There's a reason we don't have ads around here, and it's because of the fine folks who have chosen to go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon and pledged a weekly dollar amount to help fund the costs of making the show. If you like having an ad-free show and you get value from the work we do here, consider becoming a Patreon yourself. We'll now return you to your regularly scheduled program.
Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchatz. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing just fine, but it has been a busy two weeks of security news. I think they caught up on that holiday they took over Christmas. <laughs> no more silly season, huh? No, no, we're into really quite depressing January. I believe last Monday was so-called Blue Monday. So oh. Lots of bad news here, unfortunately. But we have good news too, and we have palate cleansers, so we'll be fine. All right, good. Let's get stuck in then. So I want to start with two quick follow-ups. Um, so we talked before about the fact that Australia had passed the law and it would go through the various little cogs and wheels of becoming an actual law that is in effect and that it would come into effect in January and we all sort of assumed it couldn't be stopped. Well, whether it could or it couldn't, couldn't is kind of irrelevant. It hasn't. So the law is now in effect and now we shall wait and see until the first time one of these notices is issued to a company and see how it goes. Mm. So... We're in wait-and-see mode there. We were talking last time about an expose by Motherboard about how um, American cell phone companies were continuing to sell data to middlemen who would then quite scrupulously sell it to bounty hunters and all sorts of other people. Scrupulously or unscrupulously? That's the one, unscrupulously. (laughs) Yeah, the opposite. Right. Um, And at the time, we knew for a fact that Verizon weren't doing it because they had stopped ages ago. Um, We knew that, was it T-Mobile had said they would stop? Yeah, I think it was AT&T. AT&T. And we also heard from T-Mobile that they'd stop too. But there was one question mark left dangling as we recorded last time, which was Sprint. Well, that question mark has been resolved. Sprint will also stop. Ah, okay. So finally, first time around, didn't shame them quite enough. Second time around, they've now found their shame. So all good. In terms of notable security updates, uh, Cupertino has been extremely busy. iOS 12.1.3, macOS Mojave 10, Mojave, hang on, which one is like Wasabi? Mojave, macOS 10, Mojave, I'm over it. macOS 10, Mojave. Call it Mojave. macOS Mojave. Mo- that's how it's spelled. Um, what, what was the previous one? Not, El Capitan people could pronounce properly. What was the other one? No, it was El Capitan is the way Dave Hamilton pronounced it. That's what drove me crazy. No, Yosemite was one I thought was hilarious. Because oh, Irish yeah. people have, are not familiar with American national parks unless they're into photography. Uh, what about so Yosemite I, I Sam? A, yeah, I don't think they ever see that spelled. I just hear it shouted in cartoons. <laughs> That's true. They don't spell a lot in those cartoons. Yeah. So I, it took me ages once to figure out what someone was going to be. Yeah, this person has Yosemite on their machine and it's giving me all sorts of trouble. And I was like, Yosemite? Is this some sort of social media I'm not familiar with? What is Yosemite? <laughs> it was Yosemite. Anyway, oh, we got there funny. in the end. So, so anyway, there's Mojave. an update to Mojave, right? Yes. Uh, WatchOS 5.1.3, TVOS 12.1.2. And the good news is we are still getting security updates for both Sierra and High Sierra. Wow. So, so Sierra, High Sierra, um, get Captain and Mojave yeah. are all still. So four four versions. That's Actually, strange enough, El Cap is not explicitly listed. Yeah. But the, I mean, I'm sure they are getting, that is still getting security updates, right? Unless it's a case that because of hardware support, I think Sierra and High Sierra still support hardware that isn't supported on Mojave. But maybe it is. Maybe mm. there's no one in hard. Maybe there's no hardware limbo between those but two updates. Therefore, no one got a, left behind. That'd be weird. Stranger things have happened. It's not like Apple yeah. have an explicit policy we can go read. They sort of <laughs> do what they do. Um, and there's also Safari 12.0.3 for Sierra and High Sierra. And okay. we're assuming also for LCAP. That's, did I just hmm. misread tidbits' reporting? 
Uh, if I do, this is when I ask Bart questions on the fly. It never even occurred to me there was one missing, or I would have I would have looked into it myself. But no, I, it, my brain didn't put those two together. I was like, oh yeah, two versions back, great. But it's three it's and really yeah. three and four, right? Or two and three, whatever. Way. Yeah, it's strange. Huh. Well, while you're yeah, so while you're looking I, that up, yeah. I'll, while you're looking that up, I'll just vamp here for a second. Um, I checked for Mojave ten point fourteen point three the day I saw all the other announcements came out, and I had it for my phone. I had the the phone update, I had the watch update, and the uh, Mojave update didn't come, and it just came. I just checked it again, and it said, "Nope, there's no update." Oh, wait a minute, sorry, this one. So Okay, I'm on Apple.com now, support.apple.com. This document describes the security content of macOS Mojave 10.14.3 and security update 2009.001 High Sierra, comma, security update 2009.001 Sierra. Full stop. Hmm. Nothing shown for uh, uh, El Capitan, so huh? El Capitan people need to go up to Mojave. So it must be a hardware difference. It must be people who have hardware that can run Sierra and High Sierra, but can't run Mojave. That must be the only sane explanation. If it's the first one they've skipped, maybe there's something else going on, right? Yeah, but there's a lot of vulnerabilities here for for none of them to to exist in the middle OS and for them to exist either side seems implausible. Hmm. That's very strange. If I... I'm going to have to keep an eye on the security news to see if anyone comments on this weirdness, because this is weird. Okay. But it's not tidbits getting it wrong. They're they're quoting Apple, so no, that is... The show notes are correct. Okay, well, stand by. Yeah. Stand by to stand by, as the guys (laughs) on the My Mac podcast would say. Um, (laughs) Just because a lot of our listeners are also Drupal users, um, Drupal issued a critical bug fix for their 7.x, 8.5.x, and 8.6 branches. And I happen to know from talking to some friends of mine that there are actual in-the-world attacks happening against these right now. So definitely patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Okay. Um, So that brings us to notable security news. So despite your government shutdown, your um, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is, I think, a new thing, the CISA, they're under the Department of Homeland Security, have issued their first ever emergency directive. Hmm. And they're ordering all government agencies to take immediate action to protect their DNS records. Hmm. And because this is the first one of these directives, um, I've linked in the show notes to the directive itself, but they actually posted a blog post explaining why they posted a directive. Bottom line is, there's there's attacks against DNS at the moment. They're, they're not attacking a weakness in DNS. They're attacking sort of the fact that people often reuse credentials or may not have two-factor auth, and they're asking, well, they're telling everyone to secure their DNS accounts and to log into those accounts and make sure their DNS records are what they think they are and that they haven't been fished, basically. Huh. Because it's a really good way to get malware to be really trusted. Oh, it's coming from an actual .gov address. And if you control the DNS, you can get valid SSL certificates because you can prove ownership because when it says set a DNS record, it has this random string in it. If you control the DNS, well, hey, presto, have your DNS record. So it's really, oh, really wow. bad if you lose control of your DNS. Yeah. So hence, hence, it's happening, and therefore this alert telling everyone to watch their back. Now, of course, there's almost no one in any of these offices, so that's kind of a problem, which is <laughs> utterly not unrelated. Directive? 
yeah, who's going to follow the directive? But also, I mean, it's one thing to check your DNS records because you might lose your your HTTP. But actually, uh, as was breaking just as we were recording last time, a whole bunch of government websites have lost their HTTP because, of course, there are hundreds and hundreds of US government certificates and they're all going to expire at different times in the year. So if you take, what is it now, five weeks, four weeks? It's 30-something days anyway. 35 days. By the way, breaking news, um, they have agreed on a plan to open the government. Oh, thank goodness. Right. Yeah. Good. Because um, even from all the way over here, it's not comfortable when, you know, US government websites start shutting down and, you know, the FBI start warning about, you know, not being able to properly fight terrorism. Uh, they don't like that. Yeah. Um, okay, good. So hopefully these SSL certs will get renewed soon. But at the, basically, what was going on as we were recording last time uh, was that these certs are expiring because a twelfth of the year has gone by without a government. So that means a twelfth of the certificates on average have expired. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I know people are saying, I mean, why are there certificates on such short notice? It's like, why are you assuming they're on short notice? There's hundreds and hundreds of certificates. There's 12 months in the year, one month gone. A twelfth of them should have expired. That's a lot of certificates. Um, And initially I thought, oh, well, people have just clicked by. But as we learned from a little birdie with direct knowledge of these things... The US government did something right. They have been enforcing improved security for all .gov stuff. This is after the horses bolted in the OPM, mind you. But nonetheless, let's do things right going forward. Let us not, you know, not castigate them for doing the right thing eventually. Um, and that means that there are now pretty strong rules for the SSL certificates that can be used on US government sites. And one of those rules is that unless you have a really good reason not to, you should enable something called HSTS, which stands for HTTP Strict Transport Security. In a word, what that means is enforced HTTPS that you cannot bypass. Right. So when an HSTS website has an invalid certificate, you cannot get to it. You do not get the option to click past it unless your browser breaks the web standards. Basically, it should fail secure and not let you access the site over a broken cert. That's a problem. So it's a good thing normally that if you use HSTS, then if someone manages to spoof your DNS or if someone manages to become a man in the middle, they can't get you to go to an HTTP variant of the site or you can't click buy a certificate warning, which is what you'd see with a man in the middle. So it's ordinarily a really good thing, unless, of course, your organization is incapable of replacing its certificates, in which case right. it becomes a so denial of service on yourself. It's it's terrible from the perspective of uh, people can't get to the services they need that their taxes are paying for, but it's good yes. from the perspective of you're not going to get a man in the middle. Yeah, so no, we can be sure that there has been no security out, fallout from the certificates expiring. Right. But there's been a lot of other fallout. Right. As in not getting stuff done. Actually, there's an interesting idea. Could you go to the IRS and say, I will be paying 11 twelfths of my taxes this year <laughs> because you provided me with 11 twelfths of my service. See how that goes for you, right? Yeah, I won't be the one to try that out. Um, sticking in the United States, um, the Supreme Court has rejected taking up a case that involves Yelp. And this is really good news. So, a lower court had already ruled that Yelp couldn't be held liable for defamatory comments posted on the service. In other words, the safe harbour was upheld by the lower court. 
Now, that right. lower court was one step down from the Supreme Court. So the only place that this decision could be appealed was the Supreme Court. And they have the choice of what cases they do or don't take up. And they have chosen not to take this case. So the lower ruling stands. So the safe harbor remains in place. Therefore, sites like Yelp can continue to exist in a viable way. So that would have been a disaster had it gone the other way. This is good. I think. That's excellent. Yeah, I, I, well, I definitely think so. I mean, because, I mean, yeah, you can think of so many examples where that would be a disaster and it's something that you completely can't control. Yeah, I mean, you, you couldn't keep running Yelp if you had to pre, if you had to preemptively have lawyers parse through every single posting. I it just wouldn't this, be available. I thought this started, wasn't there something like this on Airbnb or one of those? I'm away. I don't know. That's not ringing any bells. Okay. Well, this is good because, I mean, this would apply. I would think this would be precedent, if nothing else. Oh, yeah. And this is a case that's been making its way slowly over the last couple of years. And it was re- I've been watching it little by little. And I was really happy to see it end. Um, another bit of good news, but this one is not over. This is one step. This is happening one step below the Supreme Court. So a federal judge has ruled against a warrant that requested the right to seize all phones found on a property, regardless of who owned them, and then to force their owners to unlock them using biometrics. And the judge basically went, yeah, we've got these two things called the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment, and you're breaking both of them. This is absolutely unreasonable search and seizure, and this is being forced to um, incriminate yourself. You can do neither of those things. No. Other than that. Now, yeah, other than that, it's fine. So the, the half of that is not controversial. The, the concept of overbroad warrants, that has been smacked down by judges many times. That is not controversial. What is controversial is interpreting biometrics as testimony because you're not allowed to testify against yourself in the Fourth Amendment. But of course, the Fourth Amendment was written when people wore powdered wigs and not when people had smartphones. And the judge in this case stated an opinion that I have been saying for a long time that your phone is effectively an external part of your brain and being forced to expose it is testimonial. And that's what the judge said. But other judges with equal rank to this judge have come to the opposite conclusion. So when that happens, it's not a matter of if it'll make its way to the Supreme Court, but when, because you now have conflicting precedents and there is going to be a case where that conflict has to be resolved. And that's the kind of thing the Supreme Court would tend to agree to take up. You know what I would do if I were the uh, attorney arguing for this to be our private information that you can't ask for? Is Mm -hmm. I would say... um, to uh, the opposing attorneys. Um, so, what's your what's your husband's phone number? <laughs> How many of you can answer that question? Right, your husband, your spouse's phone number. If you don't know that Hands number, up, then that means I don't know. Before you had a phone, did you, a, a smartphone? Did you know their phone number or you know yep. a cell phone? Did you know the number? Absolutely. Do you know it now? Nope. No, you're you're absolutely right. And the first thing I have to do in the morning is open my phone to see if I have a meeting. I don't know if I have a meeting. I have no idea where I'm supposed to be. My phone or my watch tell me where to go when I go. Right, right. Which is sad, but useful. But but I think uh, that's a good illustration of it's an extension of your brain. It's you've you've basically outsourced it. We have, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this, as I say, this is this, th- this sets us up for having a definitive answer in the Supreme Court at some stage in the next few years. Because all these things move slowly. Um, next, then, we have another slow-moving thing. So we've all the GDPR has been in place since May. 
But of course, it takes time for legal cases to do their thing. And so, uh, you know, I think we'd all said nothing would happen on the first day, but stuff would happen over time. Well, the French Data Protection Commissioners made a bit of news when they fined Google 50 million euro, which for Americans is approximately equal to 57 million dollars at current exchange rates. And they fined them that for breaching the GDPR because they were not giving sufficiently clear disclosure of how user data is collected and used. Because remember, the GDPR says it's not okay to hide it in the small print. You have to be clear about it. And the French Data Protection Commissioners feel that Google is not being sufficiently clear about it. So on the Hmm. one hand, 50 million drop in the ocean. On the other hand, if this forces Google to rewrite their privacy policies to move more human-friendly, I'll take it. (laughs) Staying in France... Uh, Florence Parley is France's Secretary of Defence, and she gave a presentation at something called the Forum International de Cybersécurité, which my high school French tells me is the International Forum on Cybersecurity. And what she announced was that France now considers cyber weapons to be a part of France's military arsenal. France is ready to use cyber weapons in actual war. And I believe the way she's actually been quoted is, cyber war is here. She hasn't declared a war. She just said that if there is one, they'll use those weapons. So it's not quite that we've declared one. But yeah, it's now... So is she saying they're not using cyber warfare now? No, no, she she says they are. Oh, okay. But that's new, right? That is what they are now doing. It's like like she's announced a new fighter jet. I I would say it's new that she says they're doing it. Right, but she's they're now openly saying this is this is yeah. as much a part of our arsenal as our aircraft carriers, as our fighter jets, as our cannons. Well, not cannons. What do we call them? Guns these days. I don't think we call them cannons anymore. Cannons. <laughs> <laughs> they look like cannons. They come on wheels. They shoot things. Uh, but yeah, I think we call them guns. Um, because the thing that everyone calls a gun colloquially is actually a rifle. I think. Oh, anyway, someone tried to explain to me that your gun is not... Anyway. Don't tell a military person you have a gun. You probably don't. You probably have something else. Anyway. um, And also, interestingly, to go along with this, she announced a military bug bounty program. So the French government, sorry, the French army, military, whatever wing of the military this falls under, are going to start buying up zero-day bugs that they can then weaponize in war. Oh, wow. So they're serious about this. Now, like you, like you sort of intimated, this has kind of been happening under the radar, but this is just, yeah, we're not going to say pretend. it out loud. We're not fooling yeah, around here. Yeah, there are buildings in China that we all know are full of people paid by the Chinese government to hack American things. We don't call it cyber warfare because the Chinese government say, what, us? No, nothing to do with us. <laughs> but we all know it is. Um, a malware campaign against the Mac has made some news for being original. Um, so this... The bottom line is the attackers found a way to sneak JavaScript into ads that you're not supposed to be able to do because, of course, in theory, the ad networks run malware scanners against the ads before they put the ads onto the web. One would hope. Well, they run the scanners, but, of course, the scanners are imperfect because it's a cat and mouse game, and in this case, the mouse got pretty darn inventive. Uh, So... These attackers succeeded in using a new form of steganography to sneak JavaScript into ads which were posted 5 million times on 25 of the top 100 websites on the net for two days in January, uh, the 13th and the 15th of January. Sorry, the 11th to the 13th of January. Now, 
this just getting your JavaScript run isn't enough to actually hack someone's computer. But it is enough for you to pop up one of those fake your flash needs to be updated download dialog boxes. Uh. And if you then obey said download box, you are then infecting yourself with malware, <laughs> which is how this campaign went down. So they used JavaScript to sneak pop-ups into ads on top 25 sites, which were effectively phishing for Trojans. So, and all of this is because they, because the cat and mouse game that they hadn't figured out how they were doing it yet? Yeah. So basically they found a way that the ad networks, they found a way to get JavaScript by the ad networks because you're not supposed, the ad networks will not accept an ad that does pop-ups like that. Like your ad will just be rejected. And so they have all sorts of algorithms for looking for all the different techniques people know about for making these things happen. And these guys found the new one and they chose to use that to target the Mac. Hmm. Which is why it's unusual, which is one of the whys it's unusual. They found the new technique is somewhat unusual and they chose to target the Mac is also somewhat unusual. Yeah. So definitely newsworthy. Why Uh, would that have not worked on any platform? Because I believe this particular trick requires Safari. Oh, okay. Okay. And I'm sure, you know, now that the the trick is known, that workaround will work. It involves the canvas element in HTML5. It was quite complicated. Okay. Um, I think yourself and quite a few other people pointed me at the next story. So um, Samsung's getting shouted at a little bit on the internet because although you can disable the Facebook app on the new Galaxy S8, you can't actually make it go away. That was so amazing. I I couldn't, I I mean, this one's 11, Bart. When I I saw it online, I thought that can't be right. So I posted it over in the SMR podcast podcast. Facebook group because a lot of them use Samsung phones and a guy came back and said yep just tested it can't delete it that's so I heard an a potential reason expressed by someone that in some parts of the world your Facebook ID is sort of like a unique identifier because people don't tend to have email addresses and don't tend to have other ways of identifying themselves and so maybe that's part of the logic and even they were like yeah I'm stretching it a bit but maybe but it just seems like what an interesting deal to have struck with Facebook. So to me, the offense of it is because they did it on an Android phone. That's what offends me the most. If they did that on an <laughs> iPhone, I, you know, what, the thing you get with Android is you get freedom, right? I mean, <laughs> look, it's, it's been a fib, right? The openness control. of Android has been a fib for a long time, but this really puts pay to that, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you're supposed to be able to change it to do whatever you want. You can change your launcher, you can change your your search engine, you can change your uh, your web browser, your, your standard web browser, you can change what opens photos, you can do anything you want on Android. That's the deal you make. Except for this one. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was that one's eleven, Bart. By the way, oh, today I read that uh, Mark Zuckerberg announced that he is going to combine the the code for. Are you reading ahead one? Oh, I'm sorry. Point, perchance. I no, no, work away though it. because you're doing a perfectly fine job. Because it's literally <laughs> the next story. So after you. Uh, sorry, I did. I did not know you were going to put that together. But it is relevant in this context that they're going to combine yeah. the code base of Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook Messenger. So you won't be able to get rid of any of them, maybe. Well, okay, so you'll be able to make it look like you got rid of them because they're not remo- They're not combining the apps. They're combining the backends. 
Ah. So if you only install Instagram, you're still only going to see Instagram on your phone, but Instagram is now on the back end, just another view into the same unified messaging platform that will also be powering WhatsApp and will also be powering Facebook Messenger. And you will be able to send messages from Instagram to WhatsApp and WhatsApp to Facebook and so on and so forth. Now, there is a very small silver lining in this pretty privacy bad news. Uh, At the moment, I'm a WhatsApp user for family reasons, and I tolerate it because Facebook in Europe particularly have been forced to keep those separate, but that's apparently over. So I will be removing WhatsApp. Sorry, family. You You heard it here first. I will be gone from the family WhatsApp group. The the one silver lining I can find is that they are saying end to end encryption will now come to all three platforms. Yeah, I saw that. That's that's kind of nice. That is nice. So the, you know, it's the the glass has some water in it. I won't call it half full, <laughs> but at least it's quarter full. You know, <laughs> something going on here. Some water in it. <laughs> There's some water in it. So, you know, so hey, we'll take it, right? Although I won't be. I'll be leaving. Um. Tim Cook made some waves by writing a guest editorial or an op-ed, depending on how you describe it, in Time magazine, um, calling for two things. So the first is something that a lot of people have been calling for, basically a US variant of the GDPR, a little bit more simplistic. The GDPR has seven rights and the GDPR, we did a whole podcast on the GDPR, let's not go there again. But Tim Cook was arguing for a, a simpler version where he was talking about four privacy rights which do line up nicely with the GDPR's philosophy. Minimization. Companies should collect as little information as they need. Uh, Knowledge. You should have a right to know what they know. Access. You should be able to... Sorry, knowledge is they should be upfront about it. They should tell you what they're going to do. Access is they should show you what they have on you. And security is that they have a responsibility to protect what they have on you. So don't collect more than you need to tell you up front what you're going to do, show you what you have, and promise to protect it. Not unreasonable, I would argue. Not, Those not four bit. rights would be yeah. a great step forward. So that was, everyone's, not everyone, but many people have been calling for that. That's very much in line with the legislation that Senator Ron Wyden is working on. That That's not particularly unusual. He then called for something else, which is something practical the US government could do, which I haven't heard called for before. He called for regulation of data brokers. Because data brokers are companies that you or I have no relationship with whatsoever. But they're the people who actually do the scary sharing. Why is it when I go and search for something online and then I go to some random website, there's an ad for exactly the thing I searched for? It's because the data brokers have made all that possible. They're the ones buying and selling the data and shuffling it around between the different organizations. And so Tim Mm. Cook said that if we could have some transparency and some rights there, that would make an absolutely huge difference. And he's right about that. And what really surprised me is that one of the largest data brokers out there basically said, yeah, let's actually put a floor under this so that it's not a race to the bottom and things that go horribly wrong. So I have never heard of Axiom, but apparently they're one of the world's biggest data brokers. And that kind of proves Tim Cook's point. Huh. Now, there's like no guarantee that anything will happen, but it's an interesting thing to be calling for. It's an, it's a, it's an interesting new idea to throw into the, the, the cauldron. I mean, everyone's pretty sure after 2018 that we want something to happen. So this is a new something to consider. It certainly caught my eye. Yeah, yeah. And now we switch into the good news section because it's oh, been pretty depressing. So. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. 
So DuckDuckGo have announced they're going to use Apple's new web version of Apple Maps for to power their private the mapping functions in their private search engine. So that is really nice. Trend Micro and Tesla have joined forces to add a new category to Pwn to Own to help protect something else that is full of technology. Smart cars. So you'll now be able to hack a Tesla for money and Teslas will get more secure. And in the process, hopefully, other smart car manufacturers will also benefit from this new focus on automotive security. Oh, I so like this that. is good. Yeah. Yeah. The more that gets poked at. Can we back up to the DuckDuckGo for just a minute? Doesn't By all it means. seem ironic that Apple doesn't offer us DuckDuckGo as a search engine? Ah, Allison, Did I do it again? You've, done a, you've just done a Leo Laporte. What? Leo stated as fact on this week's Security Bit and Security Now, not Security Bits, I'm Security Bits. This is Security Bits. On Security Now, Leo said, I mean, it's terrible that Apple don't offer secure, don't offer DuckDuckGo. Go to your settings app in Safari. You have a choice of four search engines. Really? One of which is DuckDuckGo. Yes, you do. And you have Wait, since about on three versions iPad. of iOS back. On my your iPad. iPad, your iPhone. Yep. On no your way. I screenshotted it and stuck it into Twitter and at replied Leo and Steve Gibson because it's been okay. there for many versions. Hang on. Hang on. I, so I probably have to go into settings. Settings Safari. Oh, man. So they should offer it. You should point it out. That was search engine. Look at that. DuckDuckGo. Huh. Mine's been on DuckDuckGo for years. Absolutely huh. years. That's why I know DuckDuckGo is fine because people say, oh, it's a terrible search engine. Google's better. Yeah, my phone's been on DuckDuckGo for years. It's absolutely fine. I find what I need. Interesting. Quickly. Yeah, I'm going to switch it and see how it goes for a while. It'll be huh. different, but now, I found it to be just fine. What about Safari on the uh, on the Mac? Almost sure you have exactly the same options. You're you're being your your Yahoo, your Doctor Go, and your Googles. I got it. I'm going to go check. Hang on. Uh, privacy. Strangely enough, general. though, I like to keep. Sorry. Uh, strangely enough, I intentionally like to keep my Macs on. Search, yeah, search engine, drop-down box, Google, Yahoo, Bing, DuckDuckGo. Okay, so if, so that means that the URL bar is now DuckDuckGo. Yep, huh. as it is in mobile Safari. Interesting. Yeah, yeah no, it may be very cranky because apparently it wasn't just on Security Now that that factual error was broadcast to the planet, but apparently on Twitter as well, and Twitter has many, many listeners. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, okay. I'm sorry to be in a... No, this is great, because I didn't have an excuse to bring it up. I wasn't going to just go have a random rant, but since you brought it up... <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, my job is to ask the dumb questions. I mean, I knew that, obviously, but... Uh, no, <laughs> We planned this all along, yes. <laughs> but, but I will so say, organized. it would be kind of interesting for them to shift gears and have that be the default. But they get paid uh, a metric crap ton... Uh, if you'll excuse we my believe. French. We, we believe. I don't know. I don't know how. Uh, I thought I, we I, knew that. For, uh, let me finish my sentence. From Google for making the default search engine be uh, Google. I My understanding is that everyone, like we, we all know there is a Project Titan, but we don't officially know there's a Project Titan. I think we all know that there's money changing hands, but I don't believe we actually know the, num- the figure. Hmm. And I don't believe either side have actually said, oh, yeah, yeah, we totally have a contract. So I think it's like, everyone knows it's true. Okay. Huh. But I don't think it's official official. Well, I'll search DuckDuckGo while, you're, uh, while you keep going and <laughs> see if I can uh, 
Find uh, next up in the good news category, um, Google is cracking down on how it handles some of the most sensitive permissions in Android. So they're now saying that if you want your app to be granted permissions that give it full access to stuff like your SMS data and your phone app, you now have to provide a justification to Google along with your app submission. And if it isn't reasonable and if there isn't a better API and if there isn't a better way and if there isn't a more restrictive way, you will, you know, basically if if what you need is only to be able to receive a two-factor auth code, well, actually Google have an API for that. So you should use that API, not the give me all of your SMSs API. And they're enforcing this. And every app that currently has the permission now has to retroactively file a justification. And if they don't do so, their app will be pulled. Oh, good. When their engineers are helping people out and saying, okay, well, your app does X, you currently have this permission, but why don't you use this API instead? So they're, 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 you know, they're meeting developers halfway, but they are nonetheless pushing through this very important protection for users. So two thumbs up for me for that. Well done, Google. Hmm. And there was a whole bunch of stories that almost all of them, individually, each of these would have been a suggested reading, but together they actually make a real story. I'm assuming it's... There's a lag on the effect of 2018, right? So 2018, all the social media companies realized they had to do something, but doing something takes time. Within the last two weeks, all of the following news stories broke. Facebook to start fact-checking fake news in the UK. Facebook to introduce stricter rules in countries holding elections this year. Facebook debuts a scam ad reporting tool. YouTube bans dangerous and harmful pranks and challenges. WhatsApp imposes forwarding limits to fight fake news. Because Edge and iOS and Android uses something called NewsGuard, users of those browsers are now seeing a warning when they visit one of the most notorious UK tabloids, the Daily Mail, telling them it's an untrustworthy website. I am delighted about this because the Daily Mail, every time the Daily Mail write a story about something I know about, I read it and go, this is horse poop. Oh, wow. So this is great to see. They've made me very cranky over the years. And what I really like about this is, like, the Daily Mail is a really big corporation. And neither Microsoft nor NewsGuard are backing off being honest about the fact that their relationship to the truth is tangential. They get a one out of five score. So all of these companies are, uh, you know, Facebook and YouTube, and I guess we're back to Facebook because it's WhatsApp, but Microsoft, all fighting back against these problems. They are. And it's basically, this. we're now seeing the fact that they all promised us in 2018 that they would get better. Well, it's beginning to bear fruit. These are, yes, they're individually small things, but you know something put together, this is movement. So let's applaud movement. You know, don't stop, but yeah, this way, keep going, keep going. Oh, um, before you before you move on, I did look up. I found out where the numbers are coming from on people saying that Apple's paying Google a, a metric metric crap ton full of money. Um, there is an actual fact. So it was Bernstein analyst Sakanagi who said that Google paid Apple one billion dollars in 2014, and we estimate that total Google payments to Apple in fiscal year 17 may approach three billion dollars. Right. Okay, so, so there's a little kernel there, but we have no idea what's really going on these days. Right. The sideline to that was given that Google payments are nearly all profit for Apple, Google alone may account for 5% of Apple's total operating profits. That'll That's keep you from scary. making DuckDuckGo the default, won't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it didn't keep them from adding it as an option, though. Yeah. That shows they have some sort of spine. Yeah. 
Now, I get to take my fire extinguisher out. I don't believe that emoji exists yet, so it's emoji-free in the show notes. But someday we'll have a little hair on fire or fire extinguisher emoji. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the plural of anecdote is not data. So something really horrible happened a family who have a Nest camera. That Nest camera, well, they didn't realize it was the Nest camera at the time, something in their house made a squealing noise pretty much exactly the same as that really horrific emergency tone you have in America that it's illegal to broadcast which is why I don't know exactly what it sounds like, because no podcast ever includes it, because it will be illegal to do so. But anyway, they made that screechy noise that says this is an actual emergency message. Then they said that nuclear missiles from North Korea were on the way. One of them I mean, was aimed at the LA, camera? I believe. Well, they, we found out afterwards, yeah. So the Nest has speakers in the camera for you know the whole two-way conversation thing. So right, some right. smart aleck pranksters is the most generous term I could possibly use. We're using this feature to make their camera broadcast this into the family sitting room, and presumably they were watching the panic they were ensuing and getting great lulls out of it. Now, this is horrible, and for you know the family described five minutes of hell until they were able to get through to emergency services and confirm that it wasn't true, it wasn't happening, whatever they had heard, it wasn't an actual government emergency alert, and then eventually all the pieces fell into place, and we now have a fairly good idea what happened. But a lot of the reporting about this was that a vulnerability in the nest was exploited. No. Oh, no, no, good. No, 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 no. Yeah, exactly good. Uh, this is almost certainly a case of password reuse. Uh, they okay. logged into the Google account controlling that camera using a password from a password breach somewhere else. Oh, good. So the advice is don't reuse your passwords and do use two-factor authentication. To throw Leo under the bus, um, again, this isn't, except I'm doing it this time, this is just the kind of thing that sticks in people's memory of, well, well, you know, those Nest cameras, those aren't uh, aren't secure because that got hacked, remember? He did the same thing talking about, well, you know, iCloud got hacked and and, uh, Renee had to say, no, it was because people had stupid passwords, Bart, or Bart uh, Leo. And so uh, it was, but that's yeah. the kind of thing that, I mean, all I saw was, you know, this horrible thing had happened and they kept showing the Nest logo over and over and over again. And I was like, oh, well, they got hacked was what all, I would have walked away with it thinking. Of course. Good. And that's how it was reported. Like, you know, very few places were careful in their wording. Um, thankfully, Steve Gibson took more care. Um, so mm-hmm. we Actually, no, it wasn't Steve Gibson. It was Naked Security. Um, either way, yeah, we, we, yeah, link in show notes. Um, also, contrary to much media hyperventilation, Facebook's 10-year challenge is not a scam. It's not some sort of trick to make you upload stuff for their AI. You, there are so many photos in Facebook that are so much, you know, Facebook know how you evolved over the last 10 years. They don't need you to take two photographs and upload them to Facebook. They already know that. This is not a scam. It's just a bit of fun. If it's your thing, have at it. What I love is what people have done with that. Like yeah, our friend Steve Stanger, he put mm-hmm. uh, a, a picture of himself today. And the first picture was a, a picture of an egg being uh, inseminated by sperm. That's <laughs> <laughs> the first one. Is uh, he only a 10 year old? Wow. Exactly. The other great one was, uh, remember Paul Wheatley? He was uh, yes. real big in podcasting Wheat- for a while. Uh, well, yeah. isn't he still involved with the the the, uh, the, the, the British chaps? British tech the, show. The, oh, ah! he might, the British tech, the, the tech show. British tech yeah, show. Yeah, the British right? tech, PT, 
Anyway, I don't listen to that ETN, one. But, yeah, anyway. but yeah, he's hilarious. But he posted a picture of Jack Black on the left and him on the right. And it's amazing how much he looks like Jack Black. It was hilarious. Huh. Cool. And the thing I okay, find funny well, about uh, about Facebook's uh, photo recognition, I mean, they're really, really, really good. But guess what completely fools them? Add a mustache. Steve really? had a mustache for the first, I don't know, 10 or 15 years on Facebook. And then when, I'm sorry, did not have a mustache. And when we retired, he grew a mustache and a beard, actually. And to this day, it doesn't know who he is. It's completely lost the run of itself. That's yeah, it, it, because, because it, face ID actually, doesn't care. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it, uh, it's like it stopped learning. It's like, nope, got him. I know what he looks like. He looks like this. And that's not him. <laughs> yep. I thought that that's was very funny. interesting. We okay, could test so the theory of whether they're using that data by having him post that. <laughs> I post guess. Although you'd never quite know if that was, you did have a control case. Anyway, um, that's the end of the, the, the main news. Um, suggested reading, fair few things here I do want to flag your attention to, but they're in suggested reading for a reason, either because they're bad news or because it, we don't really have time to go into too much detail. Um, PSA's tips and advice these are always good to either keep in your back pocket to help family or friends or even note to yourself for hopefully never needing in the future. But uh, one in particular, there's been a lot of news, this, or a lot of reporting this week about the fact that Facebook does actually, and has for quite some time, allowed you to see what it thinks it knows about you and what it tells advertisers about you. So as Naked Security put it, do you know you can see the ad boxes Facebook sorts us into? Well, hmm. you know, it might be interesting to see what, Facebook has learned about you. I'll give you some idea of how, what their algorithms are up to. So link in show notes. Oh, I, I'm definitely um, going to go look at that. That'd be, that'd be fun. If I had a one, if I had a Facebook account, I would absolutely have been in there like a shot <laughs> and ridiculing them on Twitter for everything silly they said. Loudly and angrily, I hope. Oh yeah, totally. Um, some various stories, the headlines may or may not grab your eye. How to avoid getting hacked after data breaches. Some good advice from Intego. Uh, parental controls, the ultimate guide from iMore. They do really good work. So that's one of those ones I have bookmarked now. So if anyone ever asks me, how do I use parental controls? Have it in my bookmarks and that's what they'll get. Oh, good. Um, how to back up your iCloud photo library. Another useful one from iMore. How to back up your iTunes library. Again, hmm. from iMore. And another interesting one, Checksums 101, how to make sure your downloads are the real deal. You know, we all, we often see these checksums in open source websites, but, you know, what are they? How do they work? Well, iMore can explain it to you in plain and simple language. So I actually curious, had a chance to need that and didn't uh, didn't actually know when I downloaded PyCraft to run on my um, uh, Raspberry Pi. It came with a checksum and I was like, yeah, I know what that's for, but I don't know how to check it. <laughs> Aha, uh-huh, well, there you go. So, Checksums right. 101 from MyMore. Um, notable breaches. So, the first big headline-grabbing one comes via Troy Hunt, the uh, wonderful security researcher behind Have I Been Pwned. Um, he's published information on a large cache of breach passwords, which is being which he's named, well, I'm not sure he's named it, but it has become named Collection Number 1. Uh, collection Number 1 has been analysed. It contains 773 million unique email addresses and 21 million unique passwords in plain text. Uh, we have learned since that the data is not from a new breach, but it's collated from thousands of smaller breaches and they're all about two to three years old. So Collection Number 1 isn't particularly recent. 
However, since collection number one has come out, it has now been followed by collections two, three, four, and five. And they haven't been analysed in detail yet, but one of the features of them, we're pretty sure, is that they are more recent. Hmm. But again, not new breaches, just packaged collections of <laughs> more breaches. For, yeah, because these have these have shown up for sale on the dark web. Hence are collections that you can buy. So you can buy collection number one for the low, low price of I don't know what, but you can buy it and you can buy the other collections as well. So, so that's um, how these things have come to light. There was one other thing. Um, let me see if Brian Krebs says it, if it's true. Hmm. I don't see it in the Brian Krebs article, but I heard that the 21 million passwords were in plain text. Yes, I just vast? said that. I'm sorry. Okay, didn't hear you say it. Okay. Yeah, no, they're plain text passwords. They're not hashes of passwords. They're actual passwords. Yeah. Sweet. So yay. Yeah. More password reuse. Don't reuse them. They're right now, there. L- let me ask you, would you go to the Have I Been Pwned website and go, he's got a section in there, well, for your email address, but it should mm-hmm. just say yes. It shouldn't be a question. But he's got another uh, another page where you can put in passwords. Would you type in a password at Troy Hunt's website to find out if it had been hacked? If I was a big password reuser and I was afraid because one of the, no, I wouldn't actually because I just changed my password. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, I, No, I wouldn't. But I would trust him. I just wouldn't. Okay, but I mean, you would trust going into, so there's a big password section, you can uh, type in a real password and see if it's been, if it's been pwned. Because he's earned a reputation over many years, in this one specific case, I would make an exception to what every gut instinct in my body tells me would be a dumb thing to do on any random web page. Okay. It's not a random web page. So he is an exception because he has earned trust. I I would trust this one site. Okay. I wouldn't trust it in the general case. If you said to me, in the abstract, would you type your password into a website that promised to test if it had been hacked? (laughs) The answer is, heck no. (laughs) But Troy Hunt is legitimate and has earned the trust of the entire community. So Another way to do do this is to use one password that has Have I Been Pwned built into it. I don't think, I haven't heard that he's got these new databases in there yet. If they're not in, they will be in very shortly because he's always right. updating his database. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do exactly. anything extra, but except launch one password and start looking at the uh, at watchtower section. Um, specifically, they have the have, have I Been Pwned connection. And, and I don't think LastPass has that yet. Yeah. Another thing Have I Been Pwned does, which is really good, if you, if you run email on behalf of an organization... You can, using DNS records, prove your ownership of the domain, and then you can subscribe to have um, every time any email address on your domain shows up in any breach, you get an email notification telling you what the breach is and the number of addresses involved. And it's really nicely formatted, you know, this breach from this date and a little paragraph-long description of what the breach is and where it came from. So it's sort of a full history of how your users got potentially pwned. So, you know, if you run email on behalf of, even just on behalf of a family, to be honest, if you have your own email domain where you can prove ownership, then you can subscribe to this and it's quite useful. Okay. Uh, A company called Voipo um, basically lost, well, they didn't lose, they forgot to secure their Elasticsearch database, which is a really common thing for people to do. You just, you know, install a database and forget to configure it and expose it to the internet. 
Unfortunately, that database was full of SMS messages, including plain text passwords and all sorts of joyous mm. things like that. What is and then find, do you know? I have no idea. Some okay. sort of VoIP company. The problem is it's full of these text messages. Uh. So what they do isn't all that important. It's the fact that there are people who shuffle t- SMS messages around and that their SMS messages are now on the internet. Hmm. And that's not good. Um, oh, I forgot to write down which state. It's okay, so one of the states in America, and while I wait for this to load, Oklahoma's Department of Securities. Wow, they really should know better. Um, they managed to lose three terabytes of files. Exposing such wonderful information as FBI details, social security numbers. Oh, yeah, and usernames and passwords for Windows Remote Desktop. So we think, wow. So anyway, that's some good news if you're in Oklahoma. (laughs) Wait, you said we were into good news. No, I said we're into suggested reading. Where none of these things were... (laughs) None of these things were in the real story for a reason, because they're depressing. And there's a couple more stories in there. A database of 100 million online bets was leaked and a bug in the Android Twitter app leaked people's private tweets to make them public by mistake. Uh, News. um, A senior Amazon technical expert discovered a flaw in WhatsApp because of how it reuses phone numbers. The short version is because WhatsApp manages the keys, they securely and end-to-end encryptedly received someone else's messages. So oh. This is why the only way to be truly secure is to use Signal and manage the keys yourself. And mm. uh, now, hopefully, this will be a learning exercise for WhatsApp, and they will tweak their algorithms a little bit so that this particular snafu won't happen again. But they very, very securely breach this person's privacy. Very securely, end-to-end encrypted privacy breach. You know, securely sending data you shouldn't send is still a privacy breach, no matter how secure it is. It's kind of right. annoying. Um, this is one to watch out for. So right now you are powerless to fix this, but hopefully that will cease to be true. So Intel have released fixes for a security flaw in something they call Secure Guard Extensions, or SGX, which is basically Intel's branded version of Apple's Secure Enclave. Oh, okay. It's a thingy on the motherboard design that you can put key... You can't get the keys out. You can only ask the key to encrypt, you know, to to do its magic, but you can never see what the key is. That's sort of how the Secure Enclave works. Now, the annoying thing here is, so Intel have released a fix, but Intel don't release that fix to you and I, the end user. Intel release that fix to the vendors of the hardware who then have to mush that into their firmware and who then get to give updates to you and I, the end user. So Apple users, if we are affected by this, we can pretty much rest assured that Apple will give us a firmware update and it'll take care of itself because Apple's firmware updates come to the regular security update and that won't be traumatic or stressful. But there's going to be an awful lot of people with Windows PCs who probably will never get this firmware update, and that's not good. Mm. So if you get a firmware update from your motherboard vendor, yes, please, is really the answer I'm trying to get to. Uh, Yeah, there's some really bad stuff about what Facebook are up to and lots of other stories. I'll just skip over those. Opinion and analysis, some really good stuff in here, actually. If if you're in the mood for some brain exercise, uh, you sent along the first one of these, Alison, a good news story about, you know, digital innovation. So do you want to pimp this one? Because it made me smile. Oh, um, I I forget. Did I manage to put the wrong one into the show notes? I don't. Wasn't it the one where the kids were doing the the election stuff? Yeah, but what you put in was something else. Oh, poop. That means that somewhere sitting hidden away in a wrong place 
Well, I'll, I, while you look for it, I'll I'll uh, I'll tell you I'll tell the story. Is um, I don't remember what school it was, but they asked a group of uh, senior students. So these are seventeen, eighteen year old kids to write a, a a set of digital rights. Is that what it was? It's been a while since yeah, I sent this it to was Bart. basically you had a balance. So that the, they got a bunch of kids to represent industry and write the privacy rules the industry would want and a bunch of kids to represent end users and write the privacy rules end users would want and a third bunch of kids to take as their input the outputs from the previous two and then negotiate a compromise between both to produce a final set of digital rights. And what they came up with was sane, sensible, human readable and actually extremely, like if this were to become law it would be great. Uh, oh, the other thing so they wonderful. did was they had the students break into three separate groups where one set was consumers, one set was the businesses themselves, and the third set was the lawmakers. So they had to negotiate these these uh, uh, requirements and, and how it would work. Yes, that's what I just said. But did he? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you're doing what I'm doing. You're trying to multitask and scroll. Uh, oh, hang on. Here we go. Medium. Tech for making good innovation more ethical. That's the headline. Tech. No, no, it's the right link. It's the right link. It's what the I, right link. What I see in palate cleansers, we are in no, palate cleansers. Palette aren't cleansers we? It's in opinion and analysis and in suggested reading when the bit that says via Allison. Okay, I skipped ahead. Never mind. <laughs> it sounded like a palate cleanser. I guess it could have been either, but I, I thought it was more opinion and analysis. Yeah, it could have been. Okay. Yeah, it would have fit into both places, but either way, it's got a star next to it. It's well worth read. Okay. Uh, rogue websites can turn vulnerable browser extensions into backdoors. Don't, bottom line, don't install plugins you don't need. Uh, mm. And browser manufacturers have work to do. Don't, don't set your hair on fire, but just don't install browser extensions willy-nilly you know it's fine to get ones from you know reputable companies like LastPass and one password but just don't install random ones because they may be doing more than you think okay um now there is a lot of controversy around an upcoming or a law that's being worked on actively at the moment in europe the eu copyright directive and articles 11 and 13 are very problematic if you want to Get up to speed on this without spending forever. Then I have two links for you. One from iMore and one from The Verge. And they're both human readable, friendly, and won't take forever. And you'll come out of it understanding why people are cranky about this. Okay. I heard one of them, was it Article 13, got defeated? But it was because the people who liked it said it didn't go far enough? I Is there too much to get into? That's why you point people to this. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, I, I, okay. yeah, I intentionally don't want to go into this because okay. it's, it's complicated. Uh, let's just say the Verge's headline is "The fight over Europe's internet just got even messier." <laughs> That's how the Verge are describing what's going on. <laughs> okay. So it was already messy, and now it's gotten worse. Uh, Brian Krebs then has a thoughtful piece explaining exactly why having the government shut down is bad for everyone's security. So yeah. how U.S. government shut down harms security. Uh, and that is it. There, are, there. Are, yeah, that's it. That's all I have stars next to. So that gives us palate cleansers. Um, the good people at Naked Security have done a really fun article. I haven't finished reading it because it was quite long, but I made a start and it was good fun. It starts with Julius Caesar. 
what 2,000 years of cryptography can teach us? So we start off at the Caesar shift, which is one of the simplest forms of encryption, and it takes us from there. Oh, and wow. learning how encryption evolved historically really helps you understand the concepts, because, of course, we didn't go straight from zero to asymmetric, you know, elliptical curve cryptography. We went through lots of small, sensible steps in between. And if you followed along from Julius Caesar just shifting the alphabet by a certain amount, it's a good way to learn. So it's a really fun article from Naked Security. Yeah, from Naked Security. And then not really security related, but very much in our, you know, our people sort of thing. 10 science photos that made history and changed minds from Big Think. Oh, cool. So it's 10 really cool photos followed by the little bit of English that tells you not, they're cool on their own. Even if you only look at the pictures, they're already cool. But then when you read the text under them, they're even cooler. Oh, that's excellent. Definitely a palate cleanser, not even not even in the security vein, right? Exactly. And the, the picture of Tesla sitting there with like lightning shooting off and he's just casually sitting there reading his newspaper or writing in his notes. I'm not sure what he's doing, but he's absolutely not stressed by the giant balls of lightning <laughs> shooting across his room. Oh, that's right, because he was proving that uh, his electricity was safer. Well, I don't think that's what he was doing at that exact moment. <laughs> but that was part <laughs> of the look debate. Like right? that's what it's doing, but it's certainly <laughs> one of the facets of his rivalry, shall we say, with Edison. Yeah. Rivalry is probably being too friendly, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's rather cool. And, you know, they're all great photos, but the Tesla one just really gets me because I would not be sitting there cool, cool as a cucumber as there was lightning shooting <laughs> around me. Just, just wouldn't like it i like it all right well that was a fun packed fun filled packed episode here bart well my pleasure great fun as always talking to you and uh until next time stay patched and stay secure well that's gonna wind us up for this week do not forget to send in your dumb questions comments and suggestions how do you think you do that you email me at allison at podfeet.com or you can follow me on twitter at podfeet now if you're looking for something anything good it's got to start with podfeet.com. Remember we talked about becoming a Patreon? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. You want to join our Facebook group and talk to other no castaways? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. You hate Facebook? Why don't you check out Slack? Podfeet.com slash Slack. If you want to join the live chat room, it's podfeet.com slash chat. You want to check out the Amazon affiliate links? Podfeet.com slash Amazon. And if you want to join the fun in the live show, not on Sunday this week, this coming week, it'll be on Monday. Head on over to podfeet.com slash live and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.